We're going to start a new series uh, over four weeks, God willing, on the character and life of Elijah. Elijah is a tremendous character in God's Word, great number of lessons we can learn. And so we're coming to the first part of that series on the life and character of Elijah. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, it's just a few verses from that chapter, 1 Kings chapter 17, and just verses 1 to 7. And keep your Bible open there, because we'll be referring to that. 1 Kings chapter 17, and verses 1 to 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kereth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kereth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Amen, and God bless his word to our hearts. Let's just come before God in prayer, shall we? We thank you, loving God, that you have given to us your precious word. And there are important lessons you want to teach us. But we want to just praise you and thank you for who you are to each one of us. And we realize, O oh Lord, there's so much that we need to learn about you, our God. And about some of the great characters that we find here in the word of God. And so, Lord, make us teachable. Maybe it's the kind of people that your Holy Spirit can speak into and, and mould and shape after your will. And we confess, Lord, we have not always been the people that you want us to be. There have been times when we have been disobedient. There have been times, Lord, when we haven't given you your place in our hearts and our lives. And we ask you to forgive us for that. And we pray, loving God, that you would just draw us to the windy side of Jesus that we might sense afresh that tremendous sacrifice on Calvary for us. And we pray, loving God, today that you would so work in our hearts that we might leave this place different from the people we've come into. And we just ask you, Lord, you bless our homes and families. You know the, the needs that are represented here today in our homes and families. And we ask you, loving God, to meet every situation, Lord, with your strength, with your power, with your healing, that we might be able to honour your name today. We give you thanks. We give you praise that you're all that we need at this particular time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles open there at 1 Kings chapter 17 then, we're going to be thinking over the next four weeks about the series on the character and life of Elijah. I don't know how much you know about the greatness of this prophet in the Old Testament. Remember Elijah and his servant is Elisha. He comes after Elijah. But Elijah himself just 
is a wonderful man of God. In fact, the Bible talks about him as a man of God. And sometimes you might be tempted after we go through this series, well, I wish I was a man of God like Elijah. And yet in the book of Hebrews it says that uh, Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. That's how the Bible describes him. And so we've got this wonderful man of God that just seems to breeze in as it were. But he was a man of God who really highlights and shows us afresh the power of God. The greatness of our God. And unless we get that message coming through about the greatness and the mightiness of God, we're not going to believe the half that happened to Elijah. Because he's a great and powerful God seen here in the story of Elijah's life. The very name Elijah means my God is Jehovah. El in the name Elijah means God. Jah means Jehovah. He, my God is Jehovah. And the very place from which he came, you'll see it there in chapter 17 and verse 1 from Tishbe. And that name Tishbe means converter. If you took all the names on the place he came from, the God, my God is Jehovah the converter. Is that not good? Because that's the kind of God that I've got. My God is Jehovah the Converter. The God who is personally related to his people has the power to change lives. He is personal and he's powerful. This is Elijah's God. This is the reason that we need to study this prophet of the Old Testament. He comes in about the 9th century uh, BC. That's 800 and something. We find him in the story of Israel's history. He's such a great God. That you expect something to happen in Elijah's story. And the God of so many today, sadly, is neither personal nor is he powerful. And even there are folk today who would even talk about the God being the, the beyond in the midst. What a stupid way of thinking. Because some people say it's not the beyond in the midst, it's the beyond in the midst. He's not really there, he's not really personal, he's not really powerful. And because God here in Elijah's story is a God who is powerful, he is the converter, he changes people's lives. And we have this wonderful story here because here is a God who changes pessimism into optimism. And doubt into assurance. And perhaps that's the great need that we have today. Perhaps we're very pessimistic about our world, about our nation. There's an election coming up. Can we just be pessimistic? Is there any kind of optimism that God is still on the throne? Are we full of doubt and need some word of assurance? Well, we find that that's the kind of God that we have in Elijah. There are three words I want to use today to describe Elijah. And the first one is very simply boldness. Boldness. What did Elijah do? He was the man, he was the prophet, who was willing to appear before King Ahab. Have you ever read about King Ahab? If you look at the chapter before, look at 1 Kings chapter 16, just the chapter before, and verse 30, and you'll get a description of Ahab. It says there, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Ahab outnumbered all the other kings 
in spiritual idolatry. How did he do it? Through his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel introduced the God of Baal to the Israelites and her sole purpose in life was to make sure that the Israelites had no God of Abraham, Isaac or Jacob. She wanted the Baal God to be at the very centre of this nation's life. This fertility God, this God that uh, was important in Tyre, she wanted to introduce idolatry into God's people. And the place was full of it. And Ahab was deeply influenced by Jezebel, his wife. And so we have Ahab here, thinking that he can play around with his gods undisturbed. He was just getting used to the idea of doing without the true God of Israel. But this man of God, Elijah, breezes in. And his presence is like a, a breath of fresh air in a vile atmosphere. You don't even know where Elijah comes from. Don't know anything about his childhood or anything like that. We just know that he just appears before this wicked king Elijah and his wife Jezebel. I don't think Ahab would be all that excited to see Elijah actually. Because he was being disturbed. Just as David wasn't all that excited to have Nathan come to see him. After Nathan left, how do you think David felt? When Nathan says, you're the one. You're the one that's stolen somebody else's wife. You're the one that's committed adultery. And here is Elijah being so bold as to stand before this king Ahab and see all the idolatry that was going on. That's the kind of boldness. Talk about Mary Schlesser. Here you've got this wonderful guy called Elijah. And doesn't it happen like that? It happens like that, doesn't it? Just when you're getting used to life with the Bible closed or, or life without prayer anymore or life worshipping or material possessions, just when you're getting used to the old life again, somebody breezes in from God and disturbs our walk and says, this is not of God. You're going away from the faith. You need to open the word of God. You need to get back to prayer. Somebody comes alongside and, and just kind of disturbs that complacency, that compromise in our lives. That's what happened here. God sent Elijah at a time in Israel's history when they were in crisis. It couldn't get any worse having a king that was more idolatrous than all the other kings put together and having a wife like Jezebel. You couldn't get a worse situation than that. And God says to Elijah, I want you to go into that situation. And God very often sends people into our lives when we're just letting things go. I think I told you before about that spiritual aunt I had, wee Jean, and she was wee as well. She was a wee district nurse. I, like, I hadn't seen you at church, and I'll be a bit concerned. Do you think I should be? And God has people like that who come alongside us just at the time when we, we feel we're letting things go. And thank God for those that he sends alongside. We might even not welcome them. We might say, I wasn't expecting to see you today. <laughs> and God can often do that. And that's just wonderful with that. Just when we're in danger of making shipwreck of our faith, God sends somebody alongside us. I say, how are you getting on spiritually? How are things with the word of God? How's your prayer life going? 
Look at the first words that we have from Elijah here in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve. Some of the versions have, before whom I stand, or whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. And the last thing that this idolatrous king Ahab needs to hear is that God is very much alive. Because you see, in Israel at that time, it just seemed like God was dead. Baal was very much alive. Idolatry was very much alive. There was so much of it, and so far away from God, it just seemed like God was dead. And along comes Elijah and says, I just want to tell you, my God lives. Before whom I stand. Before whom I serve. I just want you to know that. And it's good to know that. My God is alive. He's a living God. It just seemed that with the worship of Baal that the nation had assumed that God was dead. And here's Elijah saying, I stand before him. I serve him. He's with me as I speak, Ahab. You can also see it there in chapter 18 and verse 15 if your eye goes to there. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Elijah's the man who keeps saying, he's alive. I'm standing in his presence and I'm serving this Lord. You need folk with that, don't you, to tell you God's still alive. When you get a bit down and you, you see the state of the nation and what's happening. And somebody to say to us, you know that God's still alive. And I serve him. And I'm standing before him. Just in case you think he's dead. Because the things happening in the world today, you, you would think that God was dead. He's not dead at all. He's doing great things in people's lives. It's wonderful what God is doing. And so he takes this wonderful stand. And to what a blow to Ahab to be reminded that not only is God still alive in the very court of wickedness, God was with Elijah. Then, as if that wasn't enough, Elijah gives him the long term weather forecast. <laughs> and there's going to be a drought. And we can't fully appreciate what rain means to life in Palestine. When I went to Israel in 1990, after I was there I said Lord I'll never complain about the rain again <laughs> it was so hot it means 120 degrees at the Dead Sea boy was that and we're drinking up and we're running from shelter to shelter Lord I'll never complain I lied of course <laughs> I came back to Scotland but over there not to have rain to be in a drought situation is terrible here to have much rain seems to be terrible but the situation here is that Elijah says there's going to be drought and it's going to be according to my word now that takes courage it doesn't sort of provoke um, popularity that kind of weather forecast and being in charge of as it were I don't think we've got rid, you know, of our Ahabs and Jezebels today. They're still with us. I don't simply mean those who do evil in our society, but those who get others to do evil. That's the kind of society where not only those who do evil, but those who bring others into the path of evil. And that's the kind of people that Ahab and Jezebel really were. No, we need boldness today. And I have to confess, I, I'm not the boldest person around these. I don't know what's happened to me in my spiritual life. I could be more bold, I'm sure, than I should be. Maybe you're the same as myself. As we get on in the Christian life, we get less bold. When we get converted at first, we'll tell this one and that one and all sorts of things. You know, 
My first church was in Alexandria, down Bartonshire. I don't know if you know about that area. But in 1972, when we went to Alexandria, it was wild. It was wild. And it was gang fights. And here's this new minister with his gleaming white collar and all that, entering into the situation of gang fights and what have you. Uh, and we had this um, hall in, in the church that we used for a youth club. And we had the Renton. You ever heard of Renton? It's even more well done than Renton. And the Renton boys came into the church hall and they would listen to us at their wee bottles of juice. And there was a, a group came in one occasion from Moss Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. And they were standing up there playing their guitars and doing. And all of a sudden, a brick came through the window of the hall. The Vaughan Hill boys got to know the Renton boys were in their hall. And so the Renton boys, they ran and grabbed the wee bottles of juice. And there were bottles in those days, not plastic bottles, real bottles. And, out, and this terrible fight took place outside the church hall. <clears throat> and the deacon said to Alec, he said, I, I don't think we can have any more youth clubs in our hall. That was a terrible fight and, oh, thing, and, and young folks don't want to come back because of these gangs that are there. Know what our young folks did? Our young folks would not accept that. They said, well, okay, if we can't have this youth club and, and bring the gospel to these gang boys and girls, we're going to go into Renton, right into their area. And so they hired the Salvation Army uh, Hall, which was a shop. And they said, Alec, any time you want to come down on Saturday night, I said, well, just leave it with me. <laughs> because I, I had to preach on Sunday. And I left it, and I left it, and I left it. I said, you know, I said to Irene, I said, I, I really need to go down and see them. So I went down one Saturday night in fear and trembling. I went down to see them and I, I went to the wee prayer meeting they had before the evening started uh, and I'm sitting there praying with them Lord just make this a powerful night may these young folks hear the gospel in this world. as we were praying the door of the place got kicked in and two men had another man between them and they threw this man and he slid right across the floor while we're praying and these two men said you're supposed to be Christians help him and there was a couple there, a married couple with us, and they just picked the guy up and they took him home and gave him a meal. And I was in fear and trembling that night. That was the start, that was the one at the prayer meeting. And what sometimes happened on a, on a Saturday night was they would come and they just, just kick the outside glass of the shop. Just give it a kick and then come in and sit down and listen to what you had to say. And, and we were there that night and I watched what was happening because when our young folks had their backs turned, these gang boys and girls would spit at their backs. And they would come home every Saturday night <coughs> with spittings all over their backs. And they loved Jesus. And they really gave them the gospel. And I said to myself, I haven't got that boldness. I haven't got it. These young folks were so filled with the Spirit. They're so keen to get the gospel to these gang folks. I just said, Lord, I want to thank you for our young folks. And just for the boldness that they have. You see, they were really saying to me and saying to others, God's not dead. He is alive. I can feel him in my hands. I can feel him in my feet. I can feel him in my soul. I can feel him in my heart. I can feel him all over me, as the song says. And these young folks demonstrated that for us. 
that mighty boldness in the face of all that difficulty. You see, with Elijah, it wasn't the fact that he stood in the presence of Ahab that he got this power. It was the fact he stood in the presence of Almighty God. As, as, as this God is alive, he says to Ahab, before whom I stand or with whom I serve. That's where I'm getting my boldness from. And folks, we need to stand. I don't know what it's going to be like in this election. I'm so fired up just now. I'm just waiting for somebody to come to the door from some political party. <laughs> I'm really fired up, you know, because I know the issues that I'm going to give to them, you know. I'm all fired up. I don't know if it'll actually happen. We need a bit of boldness. Look again. Look at verses 2 to 5 of 1 Kings 17. Another vital lesson here. And here the word is not boldness here, but it's obedience. It says there in verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. How many of us know that when the word of the Lord comes to us, it's to be obeyed? When you get a word from the Lord, it's to be obeyed. Look at verse 8 of that same chapter 17. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord was always coming to Elijah and every time he had to obey it. And here the Lord tells Elijah to turn eastward and hide himself by the Kereth ravine by the brook. By the brook Kereth, Elijah would drink from the brook and be fed by the ravens. Now this seems a, a strange command of God. Elijah has just got himself involved with Ahab. He's standing before Ahab. Then the Lord said, I want you to go off and I want to hide yourself by the brook. It's almost like a, a kind of hit and run situation. You're getting to Ahab and you're, you're running away to hide. I think maybe the answer to that is there's, there's a gap in time between verses 1 and 2. It doesn't actually say that in the Bible, but I think there's a gap in time between verses 1 and 2. They don't really have that. But nevertheless, the command comes to Elijah to depart from the hustle and bustle away from the crowds of friends. For God wanted Elijah to hide himself. You'll see it there in verse 3. I want you to hide yourself. But not forever. Glance at chapter 18 and verse 1. God told Elijah to present himself or show himself. Now it's important to realise that God never calls us to hide ourselves with him without the day coming to show ourselves to the world. But he calls us to hide ourselves. You see, it's good to be involved in true Christian involvement. That means being the place where we matter most. But more involvement must never be at the cost of the secret place. But God says, I want you to hide yourself away from the hustle and bustle. I want you to spend time in quietness before me. And you know, that's a, a time that's difficult to grasp. I used to have no bother with it until I started looking after the grandchildren. Those of you that have children, I, I sympathize with you trying to get time with God. But God takes us into the secret place, doesn't he? And he says, I'll need you to hide yourself. And I'm going to feed you. I'm going to look after you. The secret place. And it's really in the secret place, shut in with God, that commitment comes. You don't get involved and then get committed. You get committed to God in the secret place, in the hiding place, and then you become really involved in the place that matters most for God. 
I read this wee poem just recently. I'm not very good at reading poems. I, well, Eileen tells me that anyway. I read this poem recently. It says this. I met God in the morning when the day was at the best. And his presence came like sunrise. Like a glory to my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me. And we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind when I too had loosed the moorings with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret. Learn from many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. Seek him in the morning if you want him during the day. We don't become committed because we're involved in the church's life. Real commitment comes because we've spent time in the secret place. And then we can get involved in the place that matters the most. And God knew that if Elijah was going to be used by him before Ahab and all that was going to happen in Elijah's life, he had to hide himself from the hustle and bustle and learn the secret of waiting on God. Now for us that isn't going to be easy. Obedience is never easy, is it? It's never easy. <coughs> but I wonder if the Lord wants to lay on our hearts the importance of the secret place where we can pour out our hearts before him. I don't believe we'll hear clearly God's call to show ourselves until we're willing to obey him and hide ourselves in his presence and shut ourselves in with God. And so we find that uh, no matter how involved Elijah was against the evil of his day, he obeyed God and he hid himself by the brook Kereth. Boldness, obedience. And here's the final one for this morning. One further lesson from these first seven verses. It's a lesson of dependence. Look at uh, verse 7 there of 1 Kings 17. Four, three, four words that are really trying, if ever they were. And the brook dried up. The brook dried up. And the sceptic might turn to Elijah and say, What kind of God is this that you have then? Where's your God now? Where's the God who said he would look after you and he would feed you and, and do everything for you? Look what's happened to you. The brook has dried up. I'm not sure, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that this, the same things happen to Christians as happen to non-Christians. Very often. Our financial resources can dry up. Some have come through tough times of real poverty. And we in this western world know nothing about the kind of things that happen in the poverty of other countries. But sometimes our brook seems to dry up. The resources are just not there. And there are times when God will allow us to go through that kind of experience in order that we might discover afresh our need for dependence on God alone. Sometimes the friends that we have around us dry up. They're no longer there for us as they used to be. And here's Elijah, he's caught himself, he's caught up himself in the very drought that he predicted to Ahab. He's caught up 
in the very prophecy that he was given that there's going to be this drought for so many years and I'm going to be in charge of it and he himself is caught up in the very thing that he's been saying to Ahab how dependent are we on material things how dependent are we on other people Are we more dependent on them than on the Lord? Now that's not to say that God does not send people along to help us. And God does. I've just spoken about that. God sends somebody along when we're in desperate straits. God can do that for us. But how dependent are we on God? 2007 was a difficult year for me, as I'm sure you realise. And I just felt I'm not going to be able to work again. Uh, I was thinking about the money that would be required for the next three years before I retire. Lord, how am I going to cope? And I was trying to count it all up, what I'm going to be left with. (laughs) And here God just provides. This part-time job comes up. That's the kind of God we have. Do you, do you believe that? That God can look after every need. My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. And we need to have a, a wonderful dependence on God. That he is going to look after things. You see it's true that Elijah had to share the drought like everybody else. But there was this difference. He could call upon these heavenly resources. That never dried up. That never failed. And dependence on God is like obedience to God. It's difficult to learn. It's a difficult lesson to learn to be dependent on God. And the, tra- the question is, will we let the Lord deal with us in that area of dependence? Taking our feeble eb- efforts and making them bold in the face of evil. Making us obedient that our involvement will be the result of a commitment found in the secret place, shut in with God. Making us dependent on him even when, humanly speaking, the brook has dried up. Have you been through that experience? Where the brook has actually dried up. Elijah was a victim of his own prophecy. There's going to be this drought. And it's really hit me. But the difference between Elijah and Ahab, Elijah had a resource that never dried up, that never failed. There was a wee lass in a certain home, and one day nearly everybody she heard was complaining. The father complained that the business wasn't going right. The mother was worried and wasn't satisfied, and everybody else was worried in the house. Big brother felt the world was too full of lessons and told everybody what he thought. And all this made the wee girl so miserable that she was afraid. She was afraid that something would go wrong in heaven. And so she knelt down to say her prayers. And the usual prayer she said. But she added this extra prayer. It was this. And oh dear God. Dear God. Do take care. Take care of yourself. For if anything would happen to you. What would happen to us? A childlike faith. Brings a childlike dependence, doesn't it? Children are so dependent on us. A childlike faith brings a childlike dependence. My God's help, by God's help, that dependence could be used on Him. Boldness, obedience, and dependence. These are the three lessons from this part of the story of Elijah. Don't miss next week as we continue in. The life and character of Elijah. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we want to thank you today just for the the vital lessons that we're learning here from Elijah. 
for the boldness of this man to stand in the palace of evil and know that you're still alive and that you stand he stands before you and he serves you Lord in this world it just seems as if in so many lives God is dead but we know that you're alive and alive in us and we thank you for that place of obedience that says hide yourself before you show yourself and perhaps Lord you're speaking to some of us here it's been a wee while before we have had that secret place restored and we ask you to help us restore it that time with you in the secret place away from the hustle and bustle to hear what you're saying to us oh Lord hide us in the cleft of the rock hide us before we show ourselves and we pray for dependence when the brook dries up help us to be more dependent on you than anyone else in Jesus name we ask it Amen